Hello. There we go. Now I can hear myself. Good morning. Good morning to everyone that's here today. Good morning on live stream. We're glad you've had a chance to join us this morning. We're continuing in our discipleship Bible study uh, that Andrew Womack does. Uh, I certainly have learned a lot. I'm not sure if any of you, any of the rest of you that are here or, or watching have learned something, but I certainly have in these lessons. Um, today's message in particular, I think I find myself picking the ones that speak to me directly. Um, <laughs> If y'all were here or were, um, or were watching Nicole preach on Wednesday evening, <clears throat> you know, it's amazing how the Lord will show you something about yourself that you then end up uh, preaching on or able to teach on, and this is certainly a lesson for me. So before we get started, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the beautiful weather outside. Thank you for the opportunity to fellowship together and fellowship with you. Please anoint my mouth. Make sure that I have uh, your utterance. Uh, may the hearts of those that are here and those that are listening be open to the seed of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So the lesson today is about self-centeredness. Whoop, whoop! <laughs> Can I get a whoop, whoop? <laughs> All right, so this is going to be a real fun lesson. I'm excited already. Can you all tell? All right, so... Be prepared, prepare your toes, as it certainly stepped all over mine. So we're going to get started. Self-centeredness is the source of so much of what we experience. This, there is a verse in Proverbs 13 that you really ought to look up, because you wouldn't believe it if you didn't read it in your own Bible. So JD, would you please put up in the King James Version, Proverbs 13.10. It says, only by pride... Cometh contention, but with the well-advised is wisdom. Many people at first would take issue with this and say, wait a minute, pride can't be the only thing that causes contention or strife. Proverbs 17, 14 says that contention is the beginning of strife, so strife has to be caused by more than just pride. It's what so-and-so has done to me. Others will say, you don't understand. This is just the type of person I am. No, the scripture says that only by pride comes contention. So what is contention? Contention is heated disagreement or a belief, especially one maintained during an argument. How many of us maintain a point during an argument? We're not willing to listen to somebody. JD's raising his hand, Brett. There he's, he's praising. Um, so contention is a heated disagreement or a belief, especially one maintained during an argument. Some people, again, would take issue and say, I've got all kinds of problems, but pride isn't one of them. If anything, I've got such low self-esteem, there's no way anybody could accuse me of pride. We have to redefine what pride is. It's not just thinking you're better than somebody else. But in the simplest terms, it is seeing yourself as the center of everything. Self-centeredness is really the root of all pride. In Numbers 12.2, Miriam and Aaron, Moses' sister and brother, came against him, criticizing him because of an interracial marriage, saying, Hath the Lord indeed spoken only to Moses? Hath he not spoken also to us? So that's like saying, he's the only one that God's talking to? He's talking to me too. 
right? That's what they were doing. They were talking about Moses behind his back and presuming that he was the only one hearing and that they weren't hearing as well. The scripture then says in parentheses in verse 3 that Moses was the meekest man on the face of the earth. Instead of taking offense at what they said, he began to pray and intercede for them. How many of us actually take the opportunity when someone ticks us off, right, when we're in that contention, how many of us stop long enough to say, I need to pray for this person. I need to lift them up because that's what Moses did, right? He didn't get mad. He started praying for them. So when it says Moses was the meekest man on the face of the earth, stop and think about that. We don't know how many people there were on the earth at that time, but surely there were millions, and Moses was the meekest man of all these people. What makes this really an amazing statement is that he was the one who wrote it. Most people think that if you're truly humble or meek, you won't even know it. So let's talk about meek a little bit, because meek had a different definition back then. There was a different application of meek than there is in today's society. I think there's an equation in today's society that meek equals weak. So let's talk about meek. Okay? So the definition of meek by Merriam-Webster is having or showing a quiet, gentle, and humble nature. There are two essential components for this quality to come into play in the Bible. A conflict in which an individual is unable to control or influence circumstances. Typical human responses in such circumstances include frustration, bitterness, anger, oh, let's see what else, cussing, <laughs> stomping your feet, wanting to throat punch somebody. I mean, there's a whole lot of stuff that fits in here, right? But the one who is guided by God's spirit accepts God's ability to direct events, right? <laughs> Apparently, I've, I've gotten the chuckles going in the <laughs> congregation this morning. So if typical human responses are frustration, bitterness, or anger, the only one that is guided by God's spirit accepts God's ability to direct events. Guess what that is? That's being all in. Wow. Meekness is therefore an active and deliberate acceptance of undesirable circumstances that are wisely seen by the individual as only a part of a larger whole. That means you can gain some perspective, right? When you're meek, you don't get passionate in the moment. You take a step back, you humble yourself and say, what's going on with the bigger picture here? There's a bigger story that I need to pay attention to rather than letting my passions get in the way, right, of preventing something from taking place, from letting God work in that situation. Okay? So meekness is not a resignation to fate, a passive and reluctant submission to events, for there is little virtue in such a response. Nevertheless, since the two responses, resignation and meekness, are externally often indistinguishable, right? On the outside, we see meekness as resignation, right? Or removal or stepping back. It is easy to see how what was once perceived as a virtue has become a defect in contemporary society, right? We look at people who take a step back, gain perspective, don't lock and load and engage as somehow being weak or less than or not standing up for themselves, okay? 
The patient and hopeful endurance of undesirable circumstances identifies the person as externally vulnerable and weak, but inwardly resilient and strong. Meekness does not identify the weak, but more precisely the strong, who have been placed in a position of weakness where they persevere without giving up. The use of the Greek word when applied to animals makes this clear, for it means to tame when applied to wild animals. Specifically, in other words, such animals have to lose their strength, but have, have not lost their strength, but have learned to control the destructive instincts that pre prevent them from living in harmony with others. Right? So we break wild animals, right? We force them to submit. So therefore, meekness is a false impression of what arrogance really is. Pride isn't just thinking you're better than everybody else. It's self-centeredness. It's like having a stick with arrogance on one side and low self-esteem on the other. Those are opposite expressions of the same thing. Wow. Ooh. I sat on that statement for a while this week and went, oh, that one's a little tough. So they're opposite expressions of the same thing, but they're both on the same stick, and that stick is self-centeredness. It doesn't matter if you think you're better than everyone else or you think you're worse than everyone else. You're absolutely self-centered. Everything gets filtered through that. A timid, shy person is very proud and self-centered, thinking only about themselves. The point I'm making is that self-centeredness is really the root of all pride. And if you plug that back into Proverbs 13.10, that only by pride cometh contention, what this says is that it is our own self-centeredness that makes us angry, not what people do to us. Wow. It's our self-centeredness that causes us to react to what people do. You will never be able to stop people from rubbing you the wrong way. It can happen. Faith is not to control other people, but to help you deal with yourself and deal with the things that are inside you. So it doesn't matter what people do to you. As Jesus was being crucified, he was able to turn to the very people who were crucifying him and say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He didn't control these people, but instead he had control over himself. Yeah. It's self-centeredness that makes us angry. Jesus didn't come here for himself, but he so loved the world that he came here for us. He thought of his mother as he hung on the cross and spoke to one of his disciples about taking care of her. The reason Jesus was able to forgive and operate in love in the midst of intense agony, injustice, and everything that came his way was because he was not self-centered. It, it's your own selfishness that makes you angry, yet the scripture says you're supposed to be dead to yourself. I thought this next statement was really powerful. If I had a corpse in front of me, if I had a corpse laid out here on the floor, right? I could insult it, kick it, spit on it, ignore it, throat punch it, cuss at it, right? 
But if it's truly a corpse, it wouldn't respond, would it? Right? It would let me keep doing those things. It would let me keep kicking it. It would let me keep hitting it. It would let me keep yelling at it. Right? It wouldn't respond. So our response proves how alive our flesh is. Yes. So our response proves how alive our flesh is in our life. How we let our flesh control our reactions. Right? So the reason you respond the way you do to the things around you is not because of those external things, but because of what's on the inside of you. Ouch. Ouch. That means you've got to put the mirror in front of yourself. Right? You will never be so strong in faith that you can remove all obstacles and everything that rubs you the wrong way, but you can deal with yourself. You can come to a place where you make Jesus Lord of your life and love him, his kingdom, and other people more than you love yourself. And guess what that is, guys? Guess what Brian's been preaching on the last four weeks, six weeks? Being all in, right? We, are, we need to be all in. You'll find that when you do that and deal with self, that the strife and contention in your life will cease One of the great keys for applying all of these things God has done in your life is to realize that he didn't give you the kingdom for selfish purposes. He didn't do these things just so you could have every need supplied. You need to learn it's in denying yourself and losing your life that you really begin to find out what life is all about. It's in loving other people and God more than yourself that you'll begin to diffuse your anger and your hurt all those things that are inside you. I pray that God will take these few things I've said and use them to open your heart to realize that it's your own self-centeredness that causes your grief. Instead of placing the blame somewhere else, you need to accept the responsibility. Face it, humble yourself before God, and ask him to come in and make himself big in your life. That's the way for you to walk in victory. This is some good teaching today. Um, I spent a lot of this week, um, the, the Holy Spirit was convicting me in different pieces of this about being self-centered and, and how my reactions have produced um, wrong results, not godly results. And it's amazing, once he convicts you, then every time you come up to that point, you're forced to make a choice. Yep. Right? Brian's preached on choices too. Well, all of a sudden, once you know that that's what's happening, now, you, now you're accountable. Now you're, responsibility, you're responsible for making that choice. And that's what I've been up against, right? That's where I have felt I'm up against the all-in, that one foot in the flesh and one foot in the spirit, right? It's I want to be all-in. The Lord keeps showing me these places where I need to um, make some serious corrections, right? And it's now knowing that that's you know, where I've been in the flesh and being brought up to that point and forced to make a, cho- make a choice. So let's go on to some questions. Everyone's real excited about questions, I guess. So that's okay. We'll answer them as a group today. These are really good, good ones. So we're going to read Mark 9, verse 33 and 34. So after they arrived at Capernaum and settled in a house, Jesus asked his disciples, What were you discussing out on the road? Do you think Jesus knew what they were discussing out on the road? (laughs) I think he did. 
But they didn't answer because they had been arguing about which of them was the greatest. So what were the disciples arguing about on the road going to Capernaum? Which of them was the greatest? They were arguing about which one had done the most, which one was the greatest among the 12. So does this reflect the selfishness in all of us? Why, yes, it does. Perfect example. All right, we're going to read Mark 9.35. He sat down, called the 12 disciples over to him and said, Whoever wants to be first must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. So according to this scripture, if someone wants to be first, they must become what? Last. And they must serve the rest, right? They must serve all. Now we're going to talk about um, a group of scriptures that are in Luke. So we're going to go to Luke chapter 22, verses 24 through 27. J.D.'s pulling it up. He's doing a great job this morning. So while he's pulling those up, the context for these, this set of scriptures is that the disciples and Jesus are at the Last Supper, right? They're at the table, and Jesus has revealed, just before these scriptures, Jesus has revealed that someone is going to betray him, okay? That's okay, J.D., I got it. You good? Luke 22, verses 24 through 27. Perfect. Then they began to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. Hello, we've been through this before, right? On the road to Capernaum, they were arguing about this, and now we're at the Last Supper, right? You'd think at the Last Supper they would have learned their lesson, but nope, we're going to go through it again. So Jesus told them, in this world, the kings and great men lord it over their people, yet they are called friends of the people. But among you, it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank. And the leader should be like a servant. Who is more important, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? The one who sits at the table, of course, right? That's the answer society would tell you is the one who sits at the table, of course, but not here. For I am among you as one who serves. So the point here is that if you truly want to be a leader, your job is to serve, right? To make yourself least among them, to serve them, right? What did Jesus do shortly after this? He washed their feet, right? You think about doing this um, in your daily life, right? There's a great book out there called Servant Leadership, um, it's been a book that I've read, it's, and it really has informed a lot about how I lead my staff at work. My job is to not lord over them what I expect them to do. My job is to remove obstacles. My job is to empower them. My job is to get out of the way and let them use their God-given gifts to accomplish what they are supposed to accomplish. That is my job. My team gets the glory. I don't. And that's the way it should be. Okay. So we're going to move on to Proverbs 13.10, right? We've talked about this one already this morning. Only by pride cometh contention, but with the well-advised is wisdom. So what is the only thing that causes contention? Pride. Pride. Self-centeredness and pride. Galatians 2.20. 
I am crucified with Christ, yet nevertheless I live. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So the question here is, how should we live our lives? We should live our lives by the faith of the Son of God. Okay, so I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Right, so my flesh is dead, nevertheless my Holy Spirit inside of me lives. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Right? That's what that says. And the life which I now live in the Spirit, near Christ, I live it in a flesh. But I have to live that life by faith in Jesus and what he has done for me. Okay, and the last one is Matthew seven twelve. Do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. So what is the antidote for self-centeredness? The golden rule. The golden rule, right? It always seems to come back to love God, love your neighbor. Die to yourself. Be a corpse. Allow anything and anybody to do whatever it is that they would do. Be bigger than it. Be above it. Pray for them, right? That can be one of the hardest things to do, but that's exactly what Jesus asks us to do. Not raise our voices, not get frustrated, not get mad, not be self-centered, to be other-centered. That's what he calls us to do. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this time spent together today. This is some good word, Lord. Thank you for bringing it to us. I'm sure there are toes in here that are tender. But Lord, I know my toes are tender. So thank you for your healing salve. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your love, your grace, and your mercy that you pour out abundantly every day, Lord. Your mercies are renewed every day. And as we continue to walk on this path and continue to learn how to be nearer you, we ask that you guide us, protect us, love us. May the blood of Jesus be covered over all of the people here today and everyone that is hearing this lesson. Lord, we thank you. And we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you. We'll see you at 11. Love's making all things new.